Last day of vacation and you're at the spa because you're an American Express Platinum card member and booked your fine hotel and resort stay through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. This episode features dramatizations and discussions of graphic dismemberment and death. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. The story you're about to hear is not based on any single account of the Kongamato. Our episode takes inspiration from various myths and legends surrounding the creature, as well as historical sightings and expeditions. Kapijimponga had been warned since he was a young man not to fish near the mouth of the farthest river. His grandfather told him firelight tales about the evil that lived in the caves there. But it was late in the summer, and the fish would soon be out of season. Kapijimponga needed to be able to provide for his family in the months ahead, and if he brought back more fish than anyone else, he just might win the hand of Batimwi the most wonderful girl in the village. Kapijimponga floated down the river in his canoe, paddling occasionally and watching the water for signs of life. At last he saw it, a glittering shoal, like diamonds just below the surface. He paddled toward the spot, moving as slowly as possible so as not to frighten the fish. When he reached it, he carefully unrolled his agave rope nets and lowered them into the water. Back muscles straining in the dying evening light, Kapijimponga hauled netful after netful of wriggling fish into the canoe. The fish slapped against the wood, gasping. But Kapijimponga wasn't satisfied. He threw the net back again and again, Thoughts of Butemwi running through his head. He would prove just how strong a man he was, how he could provide for her and their future children. But as he lowered the net into the darkening water once again, he saw that all the fish were darting away as if frightened. Kapijimponga failed to notice the shadow descending upon his canoe. The last thing he saw was a pair of leather wings folding over him as razor-sharp teeth sank into his face, tearing at his flesh. The canoe rocked violently, tipping Kapijimponga into the water along with the fish. 
Kapajimpanga sank slowly beneath the surface, blood streaming from his wounds. He had become the latest victim of the dreaded Conga Motto. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every week, we dive into history's most legendary monsters. In telling their stories, we hope to shed light on some truths hidden behind the creation of these beasts, where they come from, what they symbolize, and how they expose humanity's greatest fears. You can find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythical Monsters for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. Today we'll be discussing the Kongamato, a legendary winged creature first described by the Kaonde tribe of modern Zambia, formerly northern Rhodesia. Sightings of the Kongamato have continued well into the 21st century, leading some cryptozoologists to speculate that it might actually exist. Any study of the Kangamato is complicated by the lack of writing surrounding the creature. The African tribes who first described and believed in it relied on oral tradition to preserve and recall their history. It wasn't until Europeans began to colonize the continent in the late 19th century that the first major written records of these cultures began to appear. As a result, these records carry a distinct Eurocentric bias, one that frequently portrayed the Africans as a primitive people who needed the colonists to lead them into modernity. It's from such a text that the earliest print mention of the Kongamato originates. Frank H. Mellon's In Witchbound Africa, an account of the primitive Kaonde tribe and their beliefs, published in 1923 at the very apogee of British colonial rule in Africa. Over the course of 11 years, Melland traveled to untouched areas of sub-Saharan Africa, collecting accounts from the peoples he met. He took careful record of the varied belief systems he encountered, and it's among the Keonde where he and the rest of the world first learned about the Kongamato. The large bonfire sparked and crackled, sending shadows dancing through the small village and the nearby edge of the jungle. Frank Melland pulled his blanket tighter around his shoulders, his eyes never leaving the man seated across from him. Melland had been with the Keonde for half a year and had finally earned the trust of the witch doctor. He watched captivated as the medicine man ground the roots of a local tree in a gourd. Once they had been crushed to a fine powder, he added a splash of water and began stirring the mixture into a paste. 
As he worked, the witch doctor told Meland what he was preparing. The next morning would mark the start of the great fishing trip. When the men reached the edge of the river, they were to dip a sack filled with the paste into the water. This, he said, would keep the men safe. Meland couldn't stop himself. He blurted out, safe from what? The witch doctor stopped stirring. He stared at Meland across the embers of a dying fire, a strange, harsh expression on his face. Then, in a voice barely more than a whisper, he muttered a single word, Kongamato. The next morning, Meland followed his guide through the vine-filled swamps, doing his best not to sink into the murky pits below. All the while, he peppered the men with questions about the creature that the witch doctor had mentioned, the thing they called Kongamato. The lead guide, a sprightly man named Kasago, was the first to answer. The Kongamato was a bird, he said simply. This only did more to stoke Melon's curiosity. What kind of bird was a danger to grown men? What bird could elicit the kind of fear he had seen in the witch doctor's eyes? Kasago stroked his chin, reconsidering his original answer. It wasn't really a bird, he said. More like a lizard. A lizard with the wings of a bat. Meland continued to pester his hosts for information about the Kongamato. He soon determined that the name could roughly be translated as Breaker of Boats. He took this to mean that it was known to attack anyone crossing the river. The natives told him that whenever it did attack, it would eat two little toes, two little fingers, the earlobes, and the nostrils off its victims. Then they described it as having a wingspan of four to seven feet and a beak or snout full of teeth. This description stopped Meland in his tracks. He told the men to wait there and raced to his tent, an expression of crazed excitement on his face. His guides shared a look of apprehension as they listened to the sounds of the explorer rifling through his things. A moment later, Meland emerged wearing a triumphant expression, a book held aloft in his right hand. Fingers trembling, Meland flipped through the pages until he found the thing he wanted. He held up the book in the firelight and pointed at the image inside. Their mouths agape, every single person present soon pointed at the image, all muttering the same word. Kongamato. Mellon's expression shifted from excitement to one of confusion and doubt. The natives had to be mistaken. The creature illustrated in his textbook could not be living in the swamps of Rhodesia. It just wasn't possible. He turned to his guide, Kasago, and demanded to know if anyone had actually seen the Kongamato. The crowd parted, and a figure emerged. It was a woman. Her face was permanently disfigured with several large, horrendous scars. One ear and part of her nose were completely gone, and her right hand was missing several fingers. 
she fixed the explorer with an inquisitive look. Once again, Meland lifted the book into the firelight and pointed to the image. The woman's eyes widened. She took a step backward and then another, her face shifting into a mask of horror. She turned and ran screaming back to her home. Meland looked down at the book in shock. There was no mistaking it. The image he had pointed to that the tribe had identified as the Kongamato that had filled the woman with such terror was a detailed drawing of a pterodactyl. Coming up, the British imperialists ignore reports of the Kongamato to their peril. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the deal. It go down. It go down in the deal. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, back to the story. In the early 20th century, explorer Frank H. Melland heard about the dangerous winged creature called the Kongamato while studying the Keonde tribe of northern Rhodesia. After hearing descriptions of the creature and showing the villagers an image from one of his books, he decided that they might be referring to the pterodactyl, a prehistoric winged reptile from the age of the dinosaurs. This was astonishing. The pterodactyl and all members of its taxonomic order, pterosaur, were believed to have gone extinct over 66 million years ago. But just because it was unlikely that such a creature had survived to the modern era did not make it impossible. After all, as Melland noted, the crocodile had been around in one form or another for over 200 million years. Perhaps the Kongamato was just such an animal, the descendant of a prehistoric creature that had been wiped out elsewhere, but still clung to existence in the swamps of Africa. There was only one way to know for sure. Meland wanted to see the Kongamato for himself. But no matter how much money or how many gifts Meland offered, the Keonde tribe refused to take him to see the creature. For to approach the Kongamato meant instant death. 
Meland would never see the Kangamato in person. However, that was far from the end of this monster's story. Only two years later, in 1925, a renowned journalist and World War I correspondent named George Ward Price was traveling in sub-Saharan Africa when he encountered a group of Zimbabwean tribesmen. Like the Kaonde, they spoke of a winged creature who had attacked members of their village. And like Meland, Price asked them to compare the creature they had seen to an illustration of a pterosaur the tribesmen confirmed that they were one and the same. The reports and sightings only continued from there, but the scientific community largely ignored them. As British game warden Charles Pittman put it in 1942, the idea that a prehistoric creature could be living in sub-Saharan Africa was merely a fanciful idea of primitive Africans. Though skepticism was certainly warranted, the colonial point of view was tinged with racism. This would remain the dominant assessment until 1956, when the first European saw the Kongomato for himself. Jay Brown clasped his hands in frustration. He'd been in line at the clinic's waiting room for what felt like an hour and still hadn't reached the front desk. He left his worksite as soon as he'd heard the news. One of his lead engineers at another site had been injured. The project had been riddled with problems from the start. Not that Brown had expected drilling for oil in the middle of the swamp to be easy, but they had had every kind of setback. Delays, equipment failure, even finding workers had been difficult. Many of the natives had refused to go into the swamp forcing Brown to hire men from Fort Rosebury, and now another injury. At last, the nurse beckoned him forward. Her lips pursed when Brown gave her the worker's name, but she nodded and told him to follow. No one told him it was this bad. The man lay on the hospital bed, chest rising and falling with each shallow breath. His entire torso had been torn to pieces. Ribbons of flesh hung from his sides and arms. Something had cut huge, jagged streaks from his shoulder to his stomach. One thing was clear. This wasn't a drilling accident. Feeling a bit weak in the knees, Brown reached for a nearby stool and moved it so he could sit next to the bed. The engineer must have heard the noise because his eyes fluttered open, and he reached out to grasp Brown's hand. Brown meant to say something comforting, but he couldn't stop the question from coming, what did this to you? The engineer stared at Brown for a long moment, his eyes glassy. Then he croaked out his answer. He had been attacked by a dinosaur. The man passed away shortly after that. His final words stuck with Brown over the next week. He didn't believe it. He wasn't a dinosaur expert, but he knew they were supposed to be dead. But something fearsome had killed this man. Soon after, Brown was sent by his superiors to examine the swamp for shale deposits, which would indicate a potential new digging spot. Deep in the swamp, 
Brown set up his equipment. As he worked, the intense heat and isolation began to weigh on him. He jumped at every errant splash. He spooked at every sound. But Brown soon settled into his work, collecting samples and setting up the drill site for the larger team. He laughed to himself, feeling like a fool. There was no prehistoric monster out here in the swamps. A lot of mosquitoes, sure, but no dinosaur. The heat had simply gotten to him. After staking out a few more lots in the swamp, Brown stopped for a break. The sun was painting everything in soft golds and pinks. Even though the environment was hellish, it was still incredibly beautiful. When the golds and pinks started to turn to darker blues and greens, Brown began to pack up his tools. Night was coming fast. Driving back to town, Brown was exhausted and ready to get home. He stank of fetid swamp water, sweat, and moss. He wanted a bath. He was just rounding Lake Bangweulu when he spotted them. Brown slammed his brakes. When the jeep came to a stop, he cut the engine and stared at the two huge creatures flying overhead. Brown wiped his eyes, still not willing to believe that he was really seeing this. The creatures had enormous, bat-like wings, long, narrow tails that ended in a point, and thin, toothy muzzles, like a vicious dog. But just as suddenly as the creatures had appeared, they banked toward the west and were gone. Brown stared at the spot where the creatures had disappeared. He slapped his face. This had all just been a heat-induced hallucination. There were no living dinosaurs in the African swamp. He started the jeep again, eager to get back to the base as soon as possible. Then the creatures were back, practically right on top of him. The first one swooped low, its huge curved talons almost clipping the windshield before it pulled back up again. Out of the corner of his eye, Brown saw the second creature dive. He jammed his foot on the gas, tearing off across the dirt road so fast that he almost hit the first creature. Less than a hundred yards ahead, the plains gave way to dense jungle. If he could just reach the tree line, perhaps the dense canopy would keep the creatures at bay. Brown glanced in his rearview mirror. The creature was right on top of him, its snout open wide to reveal a mouthful of thin, razor-sharp teeth. And then he was inside the jungle, swerving beneath the thick branches. After a moment, Brown dared to look in his rearview mirror once more. This time, the creatures were really gone. Brown gave a full account of his confrontation with the Kongamato to the Rhodesia Herald a few months later on April 2, 1957. For the rest of his life, he would maintain that he had seen the winged beasts. The word of a British engineer marked a turning point for the Kongamato, at least in the eyes of the scientific community. No longer would it merely be regarded as a superstition or legend of the Kaonde tribe. 
While not everyone was willing to accept that the creatures were living pterodactyls, many now believed that some previously unidentified creature lurked inside the swamps of northern Rhodesia. And many were determined to see it for themselves. Coming up, a modern-day cryptozoologist attempts to find the elusive Conga motto once and for all. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Now back to the story. The Kongamato is a legendary creature from sub-Saharan Africa. It was first introduced to the Western world in 1923, after an explorer learned about it from the Kaonde tribe of northern Rhodesia. Known as a breaker of boats, it was believed to be a flying creature with a massive wingspan and a muzzle full of deadly, sharp teeth. While there have been many attempts to identify the legendary Kongamato, the most prevalent theory might also be the most astonishing. If all accounts of the creature are true, its closest relative is actually one thought to be extinct for centuries, the pterodactyl. In 1988, one cryptozoologist was determined to solve the mystery for good. Roy Mackel was a biologist and professor at the University of Chicago, as well as the former scientific director of the Loch Ness Phenomena Investigation Bureau. Ever since the project's end in 1972, he had set his sights on a new mission, finding the Kongamato. Mackel spent months poring over the accounts of everyone who had ever claimed to have seen or even heard of the Kongamato. He was familiar with British engineer J.P.F. Brown's close encounter with the creatures. He had scoured the 1928 account of Arthur Blaney Percival, a game warden who stumbled upon mysterious tracks near Mount Kenya, and of Charles Pittman, another game warden who had heard tales of a gigantic bat-bird creature. Mackle was especially inspired by the words of renowned Rhodes University ichthyologist, Dr. J.L.B. Smith. In 1938, Smith became famous for identifying the coelocanth, a sea creature previously thought to have been extinct for millennia. Smith believed that the Kongamato might be real as well. After months of research and preparation, Roy Mackle was determined to find evidence of the Kongamato's existence and discover once and for all whether it was a prehistoric creature or some other unidentified animal. To do this, he would go back to where it all began, 
the sub-Saharan swamps where Meland first heard and wrote of the creature back in 1923. In the summer of 1988, Mackle gathered his team and set off for Namibia. Among the crew was a young man named James Cosey. As soon as they touched down, James knew he had made a mistake. He enjoyed cryptozoology, to be sure. The idea of finding a prehistoric or unidentified creature fascinated him. As a grad student, he had accompanied Dr. Mackle on one of his expeditions to Loch Ness in Scotland. That trip had been a blast. But spending his summer in the middle of an African swamp? That was something else altogether. It took several days just to find Mackle's contact. When they did make contact, the man, Kanyinga, refused to talk about the Kongamato. But after some discussion, he eventually pointed the team to an area of the swamp. James was certain it was the worst place he had ever been. An endless morass of tangled, dense vegetation, pockets of still, dank water, and enough mosquitoes to drain a bull elephant. They spent days just scouring the swamp, their bird-watching binoculars rendered practically useless by the humidity that instantly fogged the glass. Despite the fact that they had yet to find anything of significance, Dr. Mackle was more alive with excitement than James had ever seen him. He documented the temperature, the wind, every insect and waterfowl they crossed in the hopes that something would eventually reveal the whereabouts of the mysterious Kongamato. They spent most evenings amongst the local tribes. Dr. Mackle kept saying how he felt just like the explorer, Frank Melland, first learning of the Kongamato's existence. James mostly just felt homesick. And then the worst happened. One day, James emerged from his tent to find the village swarming with young Americans. They all seemed to be wearing the same khaki shorts and the same white t-shirts with a clip art logo of the earth nestled lovingly in a pair of disembodied hands. James watched, bemused, as the American visitors approached the natives, asking them rapid-fire questions and pointing eagerly at laminated illustrations of pterodactyls. In an instant, Dr. Mackle was at James' side, steam pouring out of his ears. The visitors were members of another organization, equally set on proving the Kongamato's existence. But what they lacked in scientific expertise, they more than made up for in numbers. As far as Dr. Mackle was concerned, this was the worst thing that could have happened. Not only had the other group tainted any potential research by accosting the native population with images of pterodactyls boldly labeled as Kongamato, but with the sudden surge of people in the swamp, the chances of encountering an undiscovered creature was virtually nil. The expedition was over. That evening, James loaded the last of his boss's luggage into the waiting helicopter. While the search for the Kongamato had come to nothing, Dr. Mackle was not yet ready to return home empty-handed. He was moving on to a site in the Congo River Basin, where he hoped to find evidence of another water-dwelling cryptid known as the Mokole Membe. 
James, however, was done. A jeep would soon be coming to take him to the airport. Dr. Mackle stepped into the helicopter, turning back for one last look at the swamp. He sighed and muttered to himself, what a waste. Then he shut the door. As the helicopter lifted off, James thought to himself that he disagreed with the doctor's assessment. The trip hadn't been a total waste. He had managed to secure the phone number of a particularly attractive t-shirt and khaki clad visitor. James waved to the helicopter until it was no more than a speck on the horizon. He hoisted his duffel bag onto his shoulder and was about to head for the Jeep when he saw something that rooted him to the spot. In the distance, maybe 1,000 feet, a creature the size of a glider soared through the sky. Its leathery black wings streaked with white markings beat the air once as it rose higher until it disappeared into the clouds. Roy Mackle's 1988 sojourn marks the last rigorous, truly serious explorations of the Kongamato in sub-Saharan Africa. And while it failed to turn up any new hard evidence of the creature, it did result in a fresh sighting. Occasional reports of the creature continue to pour in to this day. While the most popular theory continues to be that Kongamato is a variety or descendant of the pterodactyl, it's not the only theory. Throughout the years, various scientists have suggested that the creature could be an already discovered species of animal. As early as 1932, famed zoologist Ivan Sanderson suggested that the Kongamato could be an enormous variety of hammerhead bat. Africa's largest species of fruit bat, the hammerhead, has a wingspan approaching three feet and a long, muzzle-like snout, not unlike a dog's. It also has sharp teeth, despite being a frugivore. But other cryptozoologists were less than impressed by this theory. Even if the hammerhead bat did occasionally swoop along the water, it was hard to imagine what would earn it the title of breaker of boats. And it would not account for the people who claimed to have been attacked by Kongamato over the decades. Another popular theory suggests that the Kongamato could be a shoebill stork, an African waterfowl with a wingspan of up to eight feet and a massive beak that gives it an appearance not unlike a pterosaur. Allegedly, the wounds left on the Kongamato's victims bore a striking resemblance to the marks that a shoebill's talons could inflict upon human flesh. However, the shoebill is known to be rather shy and is lacking the teeth reported in the Kongamato. A final theory was proposed by leading cryptozoologist Dale Drennan in 2011. Returning to the Kongamato's name, the Breaker of Boats, Drennan began with the assumption that the creature may be some kind of water-dwelling animal, specifically a stingray. The size of its wingspan could easily match that of a stingray's, and on occasion, stingrays are even known to leap from the water. 
The Expeditions to Discover the Congomato offers insight into colonization of sub-Saharan Africa, and particularly into the attitudes of the European colonizers. The British imperialists were motivated to study tribal groups like the Kaonde, primarily out of desire to make their subjects easier to control. Their dismissive attitudes toward the native Africans led to countless misconceptions. It's important to remember that the native Africans never claimed that Kangamato was a prehistoric creature. They merely saw the foreigners' illustrations of pterodactyls and said that it looked like the animal they knew as the breaker of boats. Ironically, in an attempt to bring modern science to a community they did not understand or respect, the European explorers may have inflamed superstition instead. While no definitive evidence of the Kangamato has been found, it's not outside of the realm of possibility that the breaker of boats is an unidentified creature. On May 22, 2017, the LA Times published an article headlined, In 2016, Scientists Discovered 18,000 New Species. In 2014, one of these new species was a frog that was discovered right in New York City. This shows that while it might feel like no stone remains unturned in our contemporary, increasingly mapped world, mysteries do still remain. If that frog could have gone so long hidden in plain sight, is it not possible that an ancient creature might be hidden away in a less explored corner of our planet? Perhaps the Kangamato is simply a misidentified creature, a shoebill stork, a stingray, or even an undiscovered species of hammerhead bat. Or perhaps it's one of the last relics of our planet's prehistoric past, an ancient pterosaur with cousins such as the late Cretaceous coelocanth. Or perhaps right now, there's a mythical monster flying over the wilds of Zambia, Angola, or the Congo. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Drew Moreland, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson.